Well, good morning, Bridgewater Vessel. How are you doing today? Is there anybody out there? Oh, there you go. How are you guys doing today? Good. My name is Jeff, Jeff Schreckengast, and uh, I'm currently serving as the interim campus pastor at Conklin, and it's good to see all of you again up until three years ago. If you don't know me, up until three years ago, I spent a lot of time in this building serving as youth pastor and then working with Ethan, but it's good to be back and see some friends and even see Stephen Snyder. I got, you know, I've known Stephen since he was about that big. And it's really great to see him up here, and I look out here, and I see my friend Randy, and just all kinds of people. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, like I said, I served at this building for about 20 years as a youth pastor, and then uh, when we merged over the Bridgewater, and about three years ago, they took me to Conklin so that I could help out Barry, and be Barry's second-hand guy over there, and um, until he left. And so we also, at Conklin, are praying and searching for a lead campus pastor, just like you guys are searching and looking for a lead campus pastor here. So greetings from, Con from Conklin, and Conklin wants you to know that we are praying for you. We are praying for you as you search for a new campus pastor, but mostly because you got stuck with Brett. I mean, come on. But the good thing is, because you have Brett, you have Nicole, okay? And Nicole's a great girl, and uh, we just, they're just great people. So I get, to, I get to be here today, so turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and then the book of James. They're both in the New Testament. They're towards the end, Hebrews chapter 11, and then a couple chapters after that. There's 13 chapters in Hebrews, James chapter 2. You, if you have a, a hard copy of God's Word, you can put your thumb in there and finger in there and hold on to it, or if you have electronic device, you can bring that up, or you can watch it on the screen here behind me as we go through this. Now, just to let you know, we're, we're not going to get to the passage of Scripture till a bit. We're going to get, it's, it'll be a while before we get there. We're going to do some teaching and then some unpacking and some things going on before we get there, but we will get there. Today, I have the privilege of opening the brand new series today called Crazy Faith. You see it here on the screen behind me, and here's a question that I want to start with. I want to get it in your minds and think about it, because we're going to refer to it a couple times, and then at the very close, we're going to come back to it. And the question is this, and it's here on the screen. Do you give God enough room to work in your life, or do you box him in with your expectations? Do you, do we give God enough room to work in your life, or do we box him in with our expectations? Okay, so that's what I want you to ponder through. I'll reference that a couple times, and then we'll close with that phrase and work through it as well. So here's another question. If your friends or family were to describe you, if they had to describe you, would they say that you're a person of faith? The way that you talk, the way that you pray, the way that you lived, the choices that you make, would they say that you are a person who walked by faith? Now listen, I don't mean that you go to church on Sunday and that you just believe in God, but that you truly live by faith. There's a group called Mercy Me, and they have a song that's titled, If I Could Tell You My Story. So if someone would tell your story, would it be marked by faith? Does it describe you? Or are you someone who plays it safe? No life out on the limb for you. You know, you always got to have a backup plan because, yeah, you just don't know. You don't, want, don't know what the future might hold, so you're always hedging your bet just a little bit. Are your prayers safe prayers? Never really believing that God can do what he promised in his word to do, not more than you can see or what you've seen in the past. You see, here's the thing. Faith is so very essential to our beliefs and our salvation, but so often... Our faith stays simple and elementary. 
Unfortunately, there's no way we can stop physically aging. Okay, you look around the room and, and uh, we're all getting physically older. But that can't be said for our, for our faith. So often, we don't grow or mature our faith. I mean, sure, we have faith for salvation. We have faith that we're going to go to heaven. But sometimes it just stops there. And often when we turn around and look down the path that we've walked through life, it's rare that we find a time where we really stepped out in faith. We truly allowed God to lead us through some, and guide us through some hard times. Now listen, for those of you who don't know me, you have to forgive me. I'm a little weird. I got a, a weird sense of humor. So I have an ad from the 1950s and 1960s. Here it is on the screen. You guys recognize that guy? That's an ad from the 1950s and 60s, and what's he talking on? He's talking on his wristwatch that's a two-way radio TV. He can actually see the person he's talking to. Isn't it amazing how things have changed just in my lifetime, the things that people have decided and tried to make in my lifetime? I mean, you think about it. There's the electric car. There's the digital camera, there's the cell phone, there's Wi-Fi. You can get on your computer and you can talk to someone around the world with no wires hooked up on your cell phone. And who knew that Dick Tracy had an Apple Watch back in the 50s and 60s? I mean, isn't that amazing? You guys remember John F. Kennedy Jr.? In his inaugural address in 1962, this is what he said, we will take the moon. We will take the moon. You know, there was no technology. There was nothing around that would say that they could take the moon. And yet he said, we're going to take the moon. By faith, we're going to take the moon. And seven years later, 1969, America landed a, a, some men on the moon and brought them back. You know, this type of crazy faith isn't only exhibited in the 21st century or the 20th century. It is all throughout the Bible as well. Think about Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, pack up your family and take them away and move them. And I'm not going to tell you where I want you to go until you get there. And then you think about Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness by faith. You think about Joshua. Joshua's faith caused the sun to stop moving. And then there's David. David, by faith, conquered Goliath. And then he had an opportunity to kill the man that was trying to kill him. And he said, I will not touch God's man. And that was King Saul. Here's Wiley Coyote on a rocket ship. How crazy would you think I would be if you came to my house and I was building a rocket ship in my backyard and I said, hey, the earth's going to be destroyed in about another year and I'm going to build this rocket ship to take my family to another planet. You know, that's what God told Noah to do said, Noah, I want you to build this boat. It's an ark, and I want, it's big enough to put a zoo in it because I'm going to destroy the earth with water and rain, something that had never happened on the earth before. And so I want you to build this boat so you can take all these people with me. I mean, if you, thought, if you saw me building a rocket ship like this in my backyard, yeah, you'd probably think I'm a little cuckoo. See, crazy faith is like, like that is equivalent to God telling me to build a rocket ship just like Wiley Coyote. See, here's something that I've experienced that I've come to believe is true, especially as I've worked through this message today. And here it is on the screen. What seems to be crazy in one season of our life will look and be considered faith in another. What often looks like it's crazy faith in one season of our life will look like faith in another. I mean, think about it. When God told Abraham to pack up and move, I bet his wives and his concubines and his family and his neighbors thought, you're nuts. Why are you leaving? And the same is true for Moses and Joshua and David and Noah. 
what God told them to do, their friends, their family, their people around them thought, man, you're, you're, you're just not really with it. And then there's Daniel. King Darius said, you can't pray to anybody but me. You know what Daniel did? It says in Daniel chapter 6, he did as he always did. He went home, opened his windows, and prayed to the God of heaven. A direct, directly against what King Darius has said. You know what that got him? Let, landed him lunch with the lions. And I bet people thought, you've got to be crazy for doing that. But we look back on it now and we see it as total faith. See, maybe there's something in your journal, in your prayer journal, that you're thinking, man, man I, I don't know if I should pray for that. That's a, that's a really big one. I don't know if, if God will answer that. Maybe it's the restoration of this relationship or restoration of a marriage or bringing back your wayward son or daughter or your aunt or your uncle or your husband or wife. Maybe it's that sickness that someone has that they just can't get rid of. Who knows what it is? I mean, think about Pastor Bob Catalisic down at Bridgewater Baptist Church in Montrose and the faith that that his leadership team had so many years ago when they said, you know something? We're going to start another campus in Halstead. So they launched another campus in Halstead, and I bet there were people sitting in that old auditorium thinking, Pastor Bob, you're crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. And now you look 15 or so years later, and God has blessed Bridgewater with five physical locations and one online campus, and, and 15 years of blessings. You see, what seems to be crazy in one season of our life often is, is considered faith or turns out to be faith in another. You know, there are heroes of faith, and they're not just ancient, in ancient times. We read about heroes of faith in the Bible all the time. Sometimes we read about heroes of faith in history books, heroes who are missionaries uh, at, at orphanages or things like that or other people. But we can't forget about them. You So I think there are heroes of faith in this room right here. I think there are heroes of faith in other churches across America, across the world right now. I think there are heroes of faith in this room. Maybe God has called you to be a common day hero of faith, to believe by faith in things that seem to be a bit crazy now. See, here's what I want, I think we need to understand. God isn't looking for someone to tell him why it can't happen or why it shouldn't happen. God's looking for someone to tell, to believe that it can and will happen. Did you catch that? He's not looking for you to tell him why, hey, it can't happen, God. He's looking for someone to believe that it can and will happen. And understand, he never said it wouldn't be hard. He never said it wouldn't be scary. He promised to be there with us as we go through it. But he has called us to that. He has called us to have that kind of faith. See, maybe God has called you or you to have some type of crazy faith. So I'm going to share a definition with you about crazy that we're going to use throughout the entire series. And here it is on the screen. Crazy is this, marked by thought or action that lacks reason. Thought or action that lacks reason. So here's what I want you to show of hands. You know someone who's crazy, who lacks reason. Anyone know anyone who lacks reason? Okay, keep your hands up. If your hand isn't up, and the person next to you is, they're thinking about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, okay? So, uh, so, see, we classify things that are unusual as crazy. And when you follow God, some of the things that he calls you to do and calls you to believe, I mean, seriously, they could be considered crazy. If you're a Christ follower and you have friends and family who are not, they probably think you're 
not quite all there. I mean, let's look at the scorecard, seriously. You believe in a God that you can't see. You, can't, you talk to him and you hear him, but he, he talks to you, but you can't hear him, okay? You have hope in a heaven that you can't see and can't preview. Uh, you give 10% of your money to this God that you can't see and you can't hear, but he talks to you. And then here's the big one. You eat his body and you drink his blood. I mean, that's a little north of normal, wouldn't you think, though? I mean, I mean, of course, people think we're a little crazy because those are the things that God has asked us to believe. But when you think about faith, it totally fits. It totally fits. You see, faith is trusting something. Here it is on the screen. Something you cannot exclusively prove. Something you cannot exclusively prove. That seems a bit out of place in our society today where we have fact checkers, facting, checking the fact checkers. We have to know all the details. See, God has called us to a life of faith, and faith requires us to believe something you cannot explicitly prove. Here's something important that I hope you will understand today when you go out into the world and go back today is this. The facts that we want so often erode the faith that we need. Let me say that again. The facts that we want often erode the faith that we need. You see, as human beings, we struggle not at knowing all the details. We got to know the details. Okay, what time are you doing this? And where's this? And how did this get here? And knowing all these details. But it's been my experience. It's been my experience. And I've come to realize this as truth, that God, sometimes he'll show you what he wants to give you, where he wants to take you. He's going to show you the mountaintop. I want to take you there, Jeff. That's what I have for you. Sometimes he shows you the hard journey, the hard path. The valley of the shadow of death is what it's called in the Old Testament. But he usually doesn't show you both. He usually doesn't show you both. Why? Because he wants you to learn to trust him so that you can get to that place of faith that he wants you to be there. We want all the facts, but it's been my experience that he will not give you all the facts. He's just going to, he's just going to give you your next step or he's going to remind you, hey, I'm going to take you through this journey, or I'm going to remind you of the, of the thing that I'm going to give you. You see, if we had all the facts of how hard the journey was going to be, we probably would turn around and walk away and say, I don't want it. And the other aspect is this. If you knew everything about what was going to happen and what you had to do in order to achieve that, it wouldn't be faith anymore. It'd be obedience. You mean I got to do this and this and this and this and then I get that? Okay, no problem. I know all the facts. That's going to be something easy for me to be. It's not faith. It's obedience. If you knew how he's going to provide the money, how he was going to heal your aunt. You see, crazy faith is this. Thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. That's what faith is. See, when God's character and our next step is the only thing we have to go on. Crazy faith trusts in God. Is that where you're at today? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if you have it there in your Bible as your electronic device, we have it here on the screen. It says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we cannot see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance what we cannot see. Did you catch the two qualifications of faith? Look at them here on the next slide. It's not faith if you can see it, and it's not faith if it was not once a hope. Okay, it's not, if it wasn't a hope and you can't, and you can see it, then it's not faith. 
See, I think that's why our enemy works so hard to discourage us. Because he knows if we lose hope, there's no faith. Because faith is confidence in what we hope for. So if you've lost your hope, you've lost your faith. And for us, it usually happens like this. Maybe you have these experiences as well. There's bill after bill, situation after situation, argument after argument, and then you come home and the dishwasher breaks and the car breaks down, and then you have to take your son to the dentist because his, his braces broke. And then you get a call from the school and something happened down there, and it just goes on and on. And you just throw up your hands and say, I give up. I, I, I just can't hope anymore. You know something? I believe with all my heart there are people here today in this room who have stopped hoping. You've stopped hoping for peace in your home, and all you just want is just peace and quiet. Maybe you stopped hoping for that wayward child that's off in the deep weeds, or maybe you stopped hoping for that spouse or that grandmother or that father or son or whoever that needs to come to know Christ. You see, when you no longer have hope, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, you no longer have faith. See, whatever you're hoping for, you build confidence in. So have you lost your hope? Is this, has the devil taken away your hope? See, that's what this series is all about. This series is all about helping us regain our hope, regaining that confidence, regaining what you hope for so that you can build and rebuild your confidence. See, here's the first point that I want you to learn to know today, and that's this. Faith is confidence in who God is. And without hope, you lose your confidence in who God is. That's why, the, our, that's why the enemy is so, works so hard to help us, to get us to lose our hope. You do know that there's a difference between saying you have faith and actually living in faith, right? Let me show you the faith formula. Here it is on the screen. This is the faith formula. Intellectual agreement plus trust equals faith. Those are the two components, intellectual agreement and trust. Those two together equal faith. So let's break them down. What is intellectual agreement? Intellectual agreement is believing something to be true. For example, I believe that there are chairs in this room. I believe that that's a keyboard, Then this is a drum set. I believe that there's air conditioning units in the room and that there are people here with lights on me up here. That's intellectual agreement. And then trust is relying on the fact that something is true. So I trust that when I walk over here, hit a key on the keyboard, that sound will come out. Or I pick up a stick and hit the drum pad, that it'll make a noise. Or turn on the air conditioner, I trust that cool air will come out of it. So let me try to explain it with a visual illustration. You see I have a couple of chairs here on the platform, a big one and a small one, a red one and a blue one. You can, we can intellectually agree that these are both chairs, right? Are they both chairs? Hello? Yeah? Yeah, they're both chairs. Cool. They're made to sit on. They're made to stand on. Kids put blankets over them at home and make tents. They hold people up. They're chairs. Well, let me give you a different illustration. Bob Brown, come on up. I've asked Bob to help me with this illustration. If you don't know who this guy is, don't worry about it. You, it's not worth your time. So, Bob, which chair do you trust? Which chair would you sit in? The blue one. The blue one. Would you consider sitting in this one? You did see this, right? <laughs> what if I told you that the manufacturer said that 
both chairs will hold you up. Would you still, would you, would you sit in that one now? I see it. Okay. What if I told you that the manufacturer said that they're both designed to hold more weight than you or I are carrying? Now, not together, but sip separately. <laughs> okay, would you sit in that one now? No. No, okay. You still choose the big chair. See, here's the thing. Bob intellectually knows that they're both chairs, but he only has trust in one. See, there's a lot of believers who intellectually believe and agree that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that he can do miracles, but they won't put their full weight on it. They won't trust it. You see, if you intellectually agree and you won't put your full weight on it, you don't trust it, then you don't have faith in it. And they say, we say things like this, oh, sure, he can bless that family. He can pay off their bills. He can heal them, but he can't bless me. He can't bless my family. He can't take care of my bills. We get caught in what I call the yeah, but loop. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. And I hear that a lot when I, when I, do, when I, when I counsel with teens and, and adults. Well, I know he can do that. Yeah, but my situation is different. Ah, but my situation is different. So, Bob, what if I told you that that chair right there is God's will for your life for you to sit in it? Would you sit in it now? No. No. Oh, come on. See, the big one, I know the big one looks good. I know the big one looks sure. But this isn't God's will for your life. This is God's will for your life. You don't trust that one yet? Okay. You see, just like most of us, when God shows you his will for your life, and it doesn't look like we think it'll work out. It's not fitting our timetable. It's not what we would do or we want to do. We still choose what we want over what God's will for our life is. So, Bob, what if I told you, what if I showed you, what if you saw someone else sit in that chair? So does this change anything for you? Yes, sir. Okay. You saw someone else sit in that chair, put their full weight, their trust, and their faith in a chair, and it held me up. So would you sit in that chair now? Yes. Why? Because I saw you do it, and I'm a little bit skinnier than you. (laughs) (laughs) Because you saw someone else put their full weight on it. Okay, we won't go there anymore. You see, that's how faith works. We hem and we haw and we're like, yeah, I don't know, this one looks really good, but I know that one. And, and then we see someone else put their full weight on it. And we say, sure, go ahead, have a seat. <laughs> we see someone else put their full weight on it and we can trust it. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the impact a church could have on its community if every single Christ follower in that church put their intellectual agreement and their trust, their full weight, on all the promises that God has for you? Can you imagine the impact that church, a church, would have on its community if every single person who was a Christ follower decided to get out, putting God in a box, and living by their expectations and following God's will and putting their full weight on exactly what he promised them to do. 
Go ahead, you can have a seat, thank you. Go back to your other seat. Tell me something, well, not, not you, Bob, but you can keep going. <laughs> How much time and energy do we waste standing up and hemming and hawing, kicking around and wondering and thinking before we put our weight on it? You know, some of us are so high and mighty in our plans, and we're like, you know something? This is where I'm going to sit. This is good. You know, I can see everything I need to see, and I know all the expectations that I have. And I don't really need to trust, because when I'm sitting here, everything's taken care of. It's easy to look good. But you know something? When I choose to sit in this chair, who looks good now? The manufacturer. God looks good now because, man, I don't know if that chair is going to hold you. Who looks good when we sit here? God looks good when we sit here. See, it's not about how good I look. It's not about how good I look when I'm sitting here. You know, when I'm sitting here, people say, hey, how are things going, Pastor Jeff? Things are great. There's no problems in my life. Everything's going good. See, faith isn't about making me look smart or cool or savvy. It's about making God look good. And that's what happens when you sit in that little chair. It's actually believing that he is God and that we are not. You know, so often we have these contingency plans just in case we don't think he'll show up or just in case we don't think it's going to work. And what do we do? We settle for this. We put God in a box rather than experience the full promises and blessings that God has for us when we choose to sit here. How many of us how many of you, because we will not put our full weight on what God has promised so he can restore that marriage, that he can change those circumstances, that he can take care of you financially, have been wasting our time and energy by wanting to follow our own plans? How many of us have settled for this, for less than what God has for us, because we want to sit here and not here? You see, faith is not just believing God can. No, faith is believing God and trusting that God will. So what was the purpose of me having Bob up here and having these chairs up here? Here's what I want to get across to you today as you think about this. Believing here, intellectual agreement, is simply not enough. Look at James chapter 2, verse 19 on the screen here. You say you have faith and you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. You know what James is telling us here in this passage when it comes to our faith? Intellectual agreement alone is not enough. There are churches all across the world who are full of people who have the same level of faith as demons. Head knowledge, intellectual agreement. Demons believe that Jesus can save. Demons believe that Jesus can heal people. They've seen him heal people. But there's no reward in intellectually agreeing. There's no reward in the head knowledge. If you don't experience, you don't experience his blessings unless you put your full weight on what he promises you. James also goes on to say this, faith without works, faith without good deeds, without putting your full weight on it, is dead. Faith is dead unless you put your full weight on what God has for you. So what have you stopped hoping for? What have you lost confidence in? When it comes to God and his promises, what do you need to reinvigorate in your mind, in your heart? 
See, once we take the intellectual faith and join it with the trust, we start operating in that crazy faith. Here's something I want you to know for today, and that's this on the screen here. Faith is not a foundation. Faith is the foundation. Faith isn't part of Christianity. Faith is the foundation of Christianity. Without faith, none of this will mean a thing. We can't live the life Jesus has called us to live without faith. So my friends, what do you need to start hoping for again? What has drifted away from your hoping box, so to speak? Is there something in your past that you need to revisit, something that you're thinking about in the future that you need to revisit? So as I was working through this message and this talk through the last couple of weeks, I thought to myself, what story could I tell that would best explain, best get people to understand faith intellectual agreement and trust. And I could tell another Bible story like Daniel or Joel or Obadiah or Onesimus, some of these small, rare people. But I thought, what about an experience that I've been through? So I want to share experience with you that some of you in this room know, and many of you do not, about a journey that God took me on and how it turned out to be faith. And I might get a little emotional, so forgive me. In 2001, God, God called me to be the youth pastor of Ross Corners Baptist Church, which was this building. And I gave up the business that I was in. I, I used to work for Fryoffers, and I started a journey that I am still on today. 2014, our then senior pastor left Ross Corners, and I was asked to be the interim pastor at Ross Corners here in this building. It looked a lot different back then. It had pews and a piano and organ and things like that. About a year or so before 2014, God had taken, uh, I had been to Rochester to a conference, and I had learned different ways, along with a bunch of other people, on how to do church, and how to make a church more welcoming and feel like unbelievers belong here, make it more outward focused and less inward focused, more contemporary and less traditional. And so I started leading the church that way. In October of 2014, I candidated to be the senior pastor at Ross Corners Baptist Church. And thank God they voted no. But at the time, it, it, it kind of hurt. But you see, normally when a candidate comes and candidates at a church and they vote, no, he moves on, he goes to another church, he goes to another ministry. But if you know me, I'm a little thick-headed, a little dense, maybe stupid is a good term, and I didn't leave. I stayed on as interim pastor, which caused some angst with some people, and other people were happy about that. When my neighbor found out that they had voted no. He comes to me, he goes, Jeff, oh no, that means you're going to move. Well, I said, what do you mean, Rick? He goes, well, you, they voted no, so then you're going to another church. And I thought about it, and I pondered it. And here's what God laid in my heart, and I shared this with Rick and some other people who asked. For years, as a youth pastor, I stood in that building that's across the parking lot over there, and in the gym, and downstairs, and in the parsonage, <laughs> And I stood in front of those teens and I said, guys, trust God. Trust God to take care of you. When you pray for something and he answers it differently, trust that he's got something better for you. So I thought to myself, what would it look like to those teens, to the people in this room, to my unsaved neighbors and Rick, if I didn't believe what I taught? If I threw in the towel and said, you know something? I'm out of here. I guess God doesn't want me. He didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted he did not fulfill my expectations, so I'm leaving. So my wife, Wendy, and I, we decided to do something that many people thought was crazy, and we stayed on as interim pastor here at Ross Corners. 
I needed a job. That was one of the reasons why I didn't go. But uh, we kept moving the church and, and kept teaching and moving it forward. About a year later, we hired a guy named Don McCall from BBC. Now it's Clark Summit. And about a year and a half after Don McCall came as interim pastor, uh, we joined Bridgewater through the leadership of Don and some other men uh, in the church. If I had not stayed, if I had sat in this chair and said, okay, God, that's not what I expected, and I'm going to put you in a box, what would I have missed? I would have missed Josh and Jeanette Petrozelli. I would have missed dumpster dives. I would have missed leading and spending time with Jason and Christine Salvinsky and seeing them come to Christ and their marriage restored. I would have missed Dallas and Tristan and Nathan and Alex, four of five guys who were, I think, juniors in high school at Vestal who came to know Christ, and I got a chance to mentor and build into their lives. And Dallas is now at Clark Summit to be a pastor. You know what else we would have missed? Since Bridgewater took over Ross Corners, over 40 people have come to know Christ in this campus alone. 40 people have come to know Christ in this campus alone. Since I've been to Conklin, since I've been to Conklin, um, at least 20 or 30 have come to know Christ out there. You know something? What seemed crazy in 2014, by staying on when they voted no, looks like faith today. You know, for me, I had no idea what God had for me. It was a hard journey. There were hard times, but you know something? Where I am now, I would never, ever want to go back and change it for anything. What seemed like crazy in one season of my life now looks like faith. So back to that question. Here it is on the screen again that, I want, that we pondered at the very beginning. Do you give God enough room to work in your life, or do you box him in with your expectations? Now, let me tell you something. This is not a, hey, look at me moment. This is a yay God moment. Thank you, God, for leading me and bringing me down this path. You see, the smart and easy thing back in 2014 after the no vote would have been to sit here. Okay, God, what do you have for me? I guess you don't want me here. That's the easy thing, and I, and I, I would move on. But that would not have been allowing God to work in my life allowing him to be a blessing in my life, and I didn't want to box him in. The verse we started with is this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we cannot see. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you for teaching us about faith. I thank you for the way that you worked in my life and you worked in my friend's life here at, at Ross Corners and then Bridgewater Vestal. I pray for the people that are sitting here in this room today that have lost hope because they're unwilling, they're unable to put their full weight on the promises that you give them. Father God, I pray that something they heard today from your word from your scriptures will cause them, will allow them, will spark something in them that will re-energize that hope in their lives and put their confidence back in the God, back to you who loves them. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior and for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.